0: My minutes are numbered. As I write this, I hear them outside. They have started to mimic my parents, and as I don't respond, the pounding on the door gets louder, getting louder and louder until the screams outweigh the pounding. I think I'm going mad. I don't think they can get in for now. Hopefully this documentation of my experience helps someone. I recently moved to the middle of nowhere, and if I knew the events that would transpire in the next week, I would have just moved back in with my parents. It was a nice two-story house in the middle of the forest. I am a veterinarian, so I made a decent living, plus the house wasn't that bad of a price. I got a job at the vet clinic in town and moved into my new home. The first two days went great. I unpacked, and on the third day, I started my job at the clinic. It was a great first day, and it was also a slow day, so I got to know my coworkers. When I got home that night, it was foggy, but I could have sworn I saw something moving in the trees. I would have shrugged it off, but it looked too human-like. It creeped me out, and not wanting to take any chances, I hurried into my house, locked the door, and looked through the blinds. Nothing, just the trees and the fog. After that, I went through my entire house to make sure nothing was out of the ordinary. Call me paranoid, I know. How ironic, a paranoid person is living in the middle of the woods, alone. After I made sure everything was in the ordinary, I went to bed, The next day, I was rudely awoken to a loud bang. I shot up out of bed and grabbed the baseball bat at the side of my bed. Slowly, I went downstairs, and I heard a second bang at my front door. I peeked through the blinds and was met with a horrifying sight. A man, wearing a deer head, holding a machete. I ran upstairs, grabbing my phone. I called 911. It took them 30 minutes to arrive, and by that time, the person was gone. I met with the officer outside and explained to her what had happened. Officer Bailey, this is not the first time this happened in this forest. What we can do is do a walk through the forest. If it happens again, don't hesitate to call. Me, this isn't the first time this has happened? Officer Bailey, I wouldn't worry, it's probably a homeless person on drugs. Again if anything else happens, don't hesitate to call. I didn't understand how a man wearing a deer head with a machete was a homeless person. Before I could say anything else, I saw her get in her car. With that, she was gone. I was back alone outside my house. I was weirded out, but before I could think about it further, my phone buzzed. I checked my watch and realized I had work in an hour and a half. I got dressed and headed out. I got home late that night and I noticed something very alarming. My front door was wide open. Instantly, I called the police. Once they got there, both officers told me to wait and entered my house. Apparently there was blood on the hallway walls leading to my bedroom. I told the officers what had happened that morning and they seemed to be a bit disturbed. They told me that this could be a cult connection and that since these two incidents happened just hours between they were going to station an officer outside my house, that relieved me a bit, but the blood on my wall really freaked me out. I cleaned it up and tried to go to bed. After what felt like hours, I finally fell asleep. The next day, I woke up and the officer was gone. I made a cup of coffee and texted my parents. They were really worried about me and wanted me to move back to my hometown. I couldn't just drop my new job and abandon my house. I told them I'd keep them updated and I'd be safe, and then I got a knock at my front door. I froze. After yesterday, I was a lot on edge, so I went to the blinds and peered through. It was Officer Bailey. I opened the door, and what she told me made my whole body go cold. The officer stationed outside my house was missing. Apparently they found his car in a ditch 10 minutes from my house, with a blood trail ending in the middle of the forest. She asked me if I saw anything, and I said no. After she left, I considered leaving town. This was all too much. Almost a week into living here, and weird stuff has been happening. I calmed down and decided to enjoy my day off, until I saw that man again, walking through the forest, holding a bloody machete. I saw him look toward my window and I ducked. When I looked back up, he was gone. Then I saw at least 20 people walking up to my house. Some of them were wearing masks, but the ones that weren't wearing masks had wide smiles with bloodshot eyes or no face at all. I was terrified. I heard glass break downstairs and I ran to my bedroom door and I knocked my dresser in front of it. I grabbed my baseball bat and my phone. I called the police but I got no answer. My mind was racing, and I heard footsteps moving through my house. I heard someone walking up my stairs, and then I heard the voice. The one voice I didn't expect to hear. It was Officer Bailey, trying to get me to come out. I ignored it and stayed silent. I didn't know what to trust. After a few minutes, it started banging on the door and screaming. It didn't stop for an hour. Now it's been 16 hours. They are getting smarter. And I found myself close to moving the dresser and opening the door. The screaming is getting longer, the banging louder and something cut the electricity. The light from the screen of my phone is my only source of light. I'm going insane. It's imitating my parents. I don't know what to do, I feel hopeless. The dresser is moving, each pound on the door. This is a story about my first camping trip, a journey that would forever haunt my memories. I had never been much of an outdoorsy person and had always been content with my video games, like Raymond Origins. Yet, fate had a different plan for me when my friend Clara invited me along with two others on a camping adventure. Clara and I shared a special bond, something deeper than just friendship, but we were both too timid to explore it further. So when she reached out to me, I decided to give camping a try. The prospect of spending time with her was enticing, and my video games could wait. We gathered next to one of our friends' houses, where Germaine and Lucas were busy packing the car. Germaine, a car enthusiast, couldn't help but talk about cars, especially his newfound love for Initial D. Lucas, on the other hand, had suggested the camping trip, driven by his love for nature and his new camera, eager to capture the beauty of the outdoors. They had everything prepared, from food to sleeping bags, and we were ready to set off. The forest lay on the edge of our town, and as we drove, Clara and I spent our time chatting while Lucas and Germaine listened to the radio. Upon arrival, we were greeted by a sign that read, "Corniger Woods, and I stepped out of the car, only to be met with an unsettling sight, a deer's lifeless body, its entrails strewn across the road, a grim omen for what lay ahead. Germaine urged us not to let this morbid discovery dampen our spirits, and we followed them into the woods. As we ventured deeper, I tried to appear brave, though anxiety gnawed at me. The unknown of the forest was intimidating. I questioned Lucas about his choice of this particular camping spot, to which he explained his curiosity about the place and his desire to photograph its wildlife. We settled in a serene clearing, a perfect camping spot with fewer trees around. Setting up the tents, I sat down to rest, checking my phone. It was 3.30 p.m. Clara joined me, sensing my nervousness. "'Hey, are you feeling okay? Is something wrong?' she asked. "'Nope, just a bit nervous. It's my first time, after all,' I replied. "'I'm sure you'll feel better soon. If you get bored, just let me know. We can chat or find something fun to do together, okay?' "'Thanks, Clara. I knew you could always cheer me up. I'll probably be fine. Go help those guys set up the tent.' They seemed to be struggling. Clara smiled and kissed me on the cheek before heading over to assist Lucas and Jermaine. As I sat alone, I noticed a peculiar piece of paper affixed to one of the trees nearby, a missing person poster. It depicted a family of four, who had vanished a year ago, with a five-year-old boy among them. I decided to take a photo of the poster, just in case I stumbled upon any clues. As dusk settled in, Lucas asked Jermaine and me to gather firewood. Reluctantly, we ventured into the woods, and while exploring, I nearly stumbled into a lake, saved only by Germaine's quick reflexes. The lake, despite its slightly greenish water, held a serene beauty with ducks floating in the distance. However, Germaine soon disrupted the tranquility, claiming to have discovered a corpse, this time a wolf. We hurriedly collected enough twigs and made our way back to camp, but the eerie atmosphere began to unnerve me. Germain decided to play a prank on me, mimicking creepy sounds, despite my protests. Strange noises emanated from behind me, unsettling gurgling and snapping sounds. Annoyed, I demanded, ''Dude, stop that already!'' However, when I turned around, instead of Jermaine, a deer stood before me. Panic welled up inside me, and I called Germain's name in vain. The twigs he had gathered were left scattered on the ground. I grabbed the twigs and rushed back to camp only to find Clara and Lucas waiting for us. Clara's concern deepened when Jermaine was nowhere to be seen. We recounted the bizarre events to Clara and Lucas, who believed every word but assumed Jermaine was pulling an elaborate prank. He was known for his mischievous nature. To add to the confusion, the deer's presence seemed coincidental. Clara and I reviewed the missing person poster, still puzzled by the forest's eerie aura. As night descended, we decided to cook dinner, attempting to carry on with a semblance of normalcy. We sang, drank, and laughed, trying to forget the strange occurrences. Darkness fell, and Clara and I decided to retire to our tent while Lucas insisted on nighttime wildlife photography. Luke, why not wait until morning? It's risky to wander the woods at night. I don't want you to end up like Jermaine, I cautioned. I can't miss the chance to photograph nocturnal animals. Besides, I came here for this. I heard there's a population of mountain lions in this area, Lucas replied. So you're saying you came here just to photograph mountain lions? I asked incredulously. Well, yes. I've never captured a lion in a photo before. Our conversation was abruptly interrupted by a blood-curdling scream echoing from the woods, a sound resembling that of a mountain lion. Lucas, undeterred, decided to investigate. Alarmed, we followed him armed with flashlights. The agonizing cries filled the night air, unsettling us. Clara advised me to remain calm and stand our ground if we encountered a mountain lion. Lucas led us to the source of the noise and there, just a few feet away, we saw a mountain lion. We remained silent, watching as Lucas snapped picture after picture. Tension hung in the air, but our vigilance paid off. Lucas's camera flash seemed to deter the animal momentarily. We kept still, trying to avoid drawing its attention. However Lucas suddenly sprinted away, prompting the lion to chase him. It was a surreal sight, Lucas running for his life, and Clara and I following suit, our flashlights flickering in a desperate attempt to distract the beast. Miraculously, our tactic worked, and the lion halted its pursuit, retreating into the woods. We followed the trail of footprints to a large stone where we found Lucas trembling, his face contorted in agony. He was still holding his camera, but something was horribly wrong. Hair was sprouting on his arms and legs, and his features began to change. Why does this feel so natural? This feeling. It's amazing, Lucas mumbled, his voice unsteady. You're not making any sense. What's happening to you? I asked, my unease growing. I think I belong here. This is my home. This place is perfect. Lucas's speech faltered as he clutched his face emitting gurgling noises similar to what we had heard when Germaine disappeared. Lucas's transformation continued before our eyes. His body morphed and he shrank in size, his ears elongating. Clara and I stood frozen, unable to comprehend the horrific spectacle unfolding before us. When the metamorphosis ended, we weren't looking at Lucas anymore. Instead, it was a rabbit. Shocked and horrified, Clara and I couldn't move as the creature scampered away into the woods, mirroring the fate of the deer earlier. Clara and I were left speechless, grappling with the nightmarish reality of our friend's transformation. In a daze, we examined the photographs on Lucas's camera, revealing the chilling sequence of his metamorphosis. We returned to camp, bewildered and frightened, aware that our lives were in jeopardy. We entered our tent, Clara seeking solace in my arms, her tears soaking my shirt. I tried to console her, promising that we would find a way out of this nightmare. Uncertainty loomed as we gazed into each other's eyes, both knowing that one of us might be the next to succumb to this curse. Amidst the uncertainty, Clara and I decided to leave the forest as quickly as possible. She held my hand as we fled the campsite. I was determined to save her and myself from the fate that had befallen Germaine and Lucas. However, as we fled, Clara's legs began to transform into hooves, causing her to stumble and scrape her knees. I scooped her up, my heart heavy with despair, and continued my frantic search for the forest's exit. Clara placed her hand on my cheek, her eyes filled with love and resignation. I want you to get out. I'm not sure I'll make it. I might not be able to walk like this. Please continue your life. It's better if you leave me here. Just know that I love you. I'm sorry for not telling you sooner. I'll try to remember you, even if I'm no longer human. With tears streaming down my face I ran with all my might, determined to save her. But it was too late. My beloved friend, now a wild boar, squealed and kicked, forcing me to release her. She sprinted into the woods, disappearing like the others. I continued running, desperation driving me forward. Eventually, by sheer luck, I stumbled upon the forest's edge. My heart raced as I tried to open the car door, only to realize that I had left the keys behind. Panic surged and I waved frantically at the approaching red and blue lights, a police car. The officer listened to my desperate plea and agreed to help. As I sat in the officer's car, I stole a last look at the forest, noticing something even more unsettling, a human corpse where the deer had once lain, the father from the missing person poster. My world had descended into madness and I shuddered at the forest's ominous secrets, wondering if I would ever escape its haunting grip. Two weeks ago I found myself embroiled in a spine-chilling ordeal that I'll never forget. It all began when my dual-credit college professor assigned us a weekend project, to gather notes for a descriptive essay about a place in our town that held sentimental value. I chose an old hiking trail I used to frequent during my childhood, a decision that would lead to a nightmarish experience I never saw coming. As the weekend dwindled away, I found myself procrastinating until the last possible moment. Dusk had already descended upon the town when I finally decided to tackle the assignment. I drove to the trailhead, a small and secluded parking lot tucked away in the woods. A faint sense of unease gnawed at me, but I brushed it aside as typical nerves. After all, I had ventured into these woods countless times before. I began my hike with the sun's last rays fading behind the horizon. Darkness crept in relentlessly, and soon I had to rely on the feeble light of my phone's flashlight. An eerie sensation settled in, it was as though unseen eyes bore into me. I found myself constantly glancing over my shoulder, searching for an elusive presence that refused to reveal itself. After roughly 20 minutes of navigating the trail's obscurity, I reached a small clearing and perched myself on a gnarled stump. Here, I began diligently recording sensory details, intermittently taking video and audio recordings for added authenticity. Just before wrapping up my notes, I decided to review the video footage, hoping to capture the essence of my childhood memories. But what I discovered in the video footage sent a jolt of terror through my veins. A pallid, ghostly face had materialized behind a tree, its hollow eyes fixed upon me. My heart plummeted and I couldn't tear my gaze away from the screen. Yet, when I directed my attention to the tree where the sinister apparition had been, nothing was there fear coursed through me like a torrential river, and I hastily closed my notebook. I knew I needed to escape the forest and its malevolent secrets. The northern west coast's dense woods seemed to close in around me, their shadows thickening with each passing second. Navigating through the pitch-black forest, I trekked for approximately ten minutes before an ominous snap shattered the silence. I froze in my tracks, acutely aware of the looming danger. Glancing back, I glimpsed that same ghastly white face in the distance. Panic surged, and I sprinted through the dense undergrowth, my heart pounding like a war drum. Although I was not known for my speed, I ran with a ferocity born of sheer terror. Ten minutes felt like an eternity as I surged toward my car, my muscles screaming in protest. Finally reaching the vehicle, I flung open the door and attempted to start the engine, but fate had other plans. My car refused to cooperate. A cliched horror movie trope brought to life. My frantic panic escalated and I dialed my boyfriend Mike, who lived nearby. With a trembling voice I explained my predicament and begged him to come quickly. My mother was out of town, my father's phone was in the repair shop, leaving Mike as my only lifeline. I sat there in the darkness, every rustling leaf or distant hoot of an owl amplifying my unease. Suddenly a chilling sound emerged, a scratching on the window. My heart leaped into my throat as I turned, half expecting a tree branch to be the culprit. Instead, I was met with the ghastly visage of the white-clothed man, his face pressed against the window. Screams tore from my throat as I frantically tried to start the car. Mike arrived just in time, pulling into the parking lot. I scrambled out of my car, sprinting toward his truck, terror gripping me with icy fingers. I begged him to drive, and without hesitation, he peeled away from the ominous forest. Before we sped off, I cast a final glance toward the trees. There he was, the white man, standing ominously in the tree line, a sinister specter whose intentions remained shrouded in darkness. We raced to the police station, where I filed a report recounting my horrifying ordeal. The following day, law enforcement ventured into the woods, discovering my car's battery, a menacing knife, and a chilling note left on the very stump where I had sat. Despite their efforts, they never managed to unmask the enigmatic intruder. The note was a harrowing revelation, a smeared lipstick message in my native language that sent shivers down my spine. Je veux que tu sois le noir de Mont blanc. It translated to, I want you to be the black to my white. It was an ominous sign that I had been stalked, a terrifying realization that continues to haunt me to this day. To this day, the identity of the white-clothed man remains a macabre mystery, and I'm left to grapple with the scars of that horrifying encounter, forever changed by the darkness that lurked within the woods. My name is Dave, and I've always been a 23-year-old man with an insatiable thirst for adventure and a fascination with the supernatural. The uncharted, the unexplained, and the eerie Have always held a peculiar allure for me it was only a matter of time before I stumbled upon something that would forever alter the course of my life this story begins in a remote forest in California where the dense canopy of trees blocked out most of the sunlight casting an eerie gloom over the area with every step I took deeper into the woods the shadows grew thicker and the silence became almost suffocating it was the kind of silence that seemed to hold secrets Secrets that beckoned me further. As I ventured on, an unexpected glint of sunlight caught my eye, a glimmer of hope in the oppressive darkness. It was the reflection of something metallic, concealed beneath a mound of rubble and overgrown vegetation. My curiosity, always my most powerful companion, urged me forward. I knelt down, determined to uncover the mystery hidden beneath the debris. With each stone and branch I removed, I revealed more of the enigma buried below, It was an old rusted door, weathered by time and the elements, that led to an underground bunker. The entrance was entangled with creeping vines, a testament to its long-forgotten existence. Yet, despite the years of neglect, I managed to pry it open, revealing a cold, dimly lit staircase that descended into the earth. My heart pounded in my chest as I cautiously descended those stairs, each step taking me further into the unknown. The bunker's interior was far more expansive than I had anticipated its corridors stretching deep into the earth, like the veins of some ancient creature. The air was thick with the musty scent of time and decay, and I couldn't shake the feeling that I was not the first person to have discovered this hidden place. As I explored further, the only sound in that eerie silence was the echoing of my own footsteps. It was as if the very earth itself held its breath, awaiting some revelation. And then the revelation came but it was not one I had ever expected. An ominous feeling washed over me, and I strained my ears to catch any unusual sounds. That's when I heard it, a shuffling noise, faint but unmistakable, coming from the darkness ahead. My grip on the flashlight tightened as I moved forward, the beam of light cutting through the oppressive darkness, and there it was, something that defied reason and sent a shiver down my spine. In the dim glow of the flashlight, I saw the creature... It was unlike anything I had ever encountered in my wildest nightmares. This was not the typical tall, lanky, bony fingered creature with a cold touch that haunted the pages of horror stories. No, this creature was a grotesque abomination. Its body was almost obese, with hairless, pallid skin stretched taut over its bloated form. The stench it emitted was unbearable, a putrid odor that was like the smell of rotting flesh left out in the sun for days. Its face was a horrifying tableau, a pair of glazed-over white eyes stared blankly, and a vertical mouth ran down its distended belly, filled with jagged, misshapen teeth. The oily sheen of its skin glistened in the faint light. I stood there frozen in terror as the grotesque creature began to move toward me. With each step it took, I could feel the ground trembling beneath its immense weight. It stood at approximately six feet tall, and if I had to guess... It must have weighed close to a thousand pounds the sheer presence of this abomination was overwhelming and i couldn't tear my eyes away from it when it locked its lifeless milky eyes onto me i knew i had to get out of there and fast panic seized me and i turned and sprinted back the way i had come what astonished me was how quickly the creature pursued me for something of its size it moved with an unnatural swiftness closing the distance between us in seconds Adrenaline surged through my veins as I desperately ascended the stairs, the thundering footsteps of the grotesque creature echoing behind me. Somehow, through sheer luck and terror-fueled determination, I made it out of the bunker and slammed the door shut. The creature's monstrous appendages clawed at the entrance as I locked it from the outside, and its chilling, inhuman howls sent shivers down my spine. I fled from the forest as fast as my legs could carry me, not daring to look back, I never returned to that place nor could i forget the horrifying encounter in the depths of the earth to this day i don't know what that abomination was or how it came to be in that bunker but one thing is certain i was not alone down there and i pray that i never find myself trapped in such a nightmarish place again The night was thick with the scent of pine and damp earth, the kind of night that makes your skin prickle with a sense of something just beyond the horizon. Craig and I, we've always been night owls, our best conversations unfolding under the veil of darkness. There's something about the night, the way it strips away the veneer of the day, revealing the raw, unvarnished truth. We were cruising down the back roads of Josephine County, an intricate web of two-lane blacktops that snaked through dense forests and sleepy towns. Our destination? Nowhere in particular. That's the beauty of our late-night drives. No destination, no plan, just the road, the radio, and the company of a good friend. Craig was at the wheel of his 79 Honda Accord, a car that had seen better days but still had some life in her yet. The dashboard was lit by the soft glow of the dials, casting eerie shadows across Craig's face as he focused on the road. The Honda hummed beneath us, a steady, comforting rhythm that blended with the sounds of the night. You ever think about how small we are in the grand scheme of things? Craig mused, his eyes fixed on the dark ribbon of road ahead. I leaned back in the passenger seat, letting the question hang in the air. Sometimes, I replied, nights like these, it's hard not to. Out here, it's just us and the stars. We drove in companionable silence for a while, the only sound the gentle hum of the engine and the occasional rustle of wildlife in the underbrush. The moon was a silver sliver in the sky, casting a pale light over the landscape. It was one of those nights that felt like it could stretch on forever, a timeless void where anything seemed possible. As the miles stretched on, I realized we were hopelessly lost. Not that it mattered much, getting lost was half the fun. But when the fuel gauge started edging towards empty, practicality won over adventure. We should probably find a gas station soon, I suggested, breaking the comfortable silence. Craig nodded, his eyes scanning the darkness for any sign of civilization. It wasn't long before we spotted the faint glow of neon in the distance. A lone gas station standing like a beacon in the night. Craig eased the Honda into the gravel lot, the tires crunching softly as we came to a stop. The gas station was a relic from another time, its weathered facade speaking of decades of service. The neon sign flickered intermittently, casting a ghostly light over the pumps. A single attendant, a kid no older than 20, was manning the counter inside. Craig and I stepped into the dimly lit shop, the bell above the door announcing our arrival. The attendant looked up from his magazine, a bored expression on his face. Evening, fellas, he drawled, his gaze flicking over us with disinterest. "'We're a bit lost,' Craig admitted, pulling out the worn map from the glove compartment. "'Can you help us figure out where we are?' The kid let out a low chuckle, his eyes lighting up with a mix of amusement and disdain. "'A paper map? What is this, the 90s?' he joked, but there was no malice in his voice, just the casual ribbing of youth. I shrugged off his comment, leaning over the counter to spread the map out. "'We just need to know how to get back to the main road,' he sighed, but there was a spark of curiosity in his eyes as he leaned in to study the map. All right, let me see what I can do. As he traced a route with his finger, I couldn't shake the feeling that this was just the beginning of our adventure. The night was still young, and the road was calling. The air had cooled, carrying the whispers of the forest as we left the gas station, our spirits buoyed by the kids' directions. Yet, as we rolled back onto the road, a subtle shift in the night seemed to hang in the air, a tension almost imperceptible, but there nonetheless. Craig's grip on the steering wheel tightened as we plunged back into the abyss of the forest-lined road. The Honda's headlights carved out a tunnel of visibility in the darkness, the rest of the world swallowed by the night. ''You feel that?'' Craig asked, his voice low. There was an edge to it, a hint of unease. ''Yeah,'' I replied, unable to shake the sensation that we were not alone in this nocturnal world. ''Like we're being watched. We drove in silence, each lost in our thoughts, the only sound the steady thrum of the engine and the occasional rustle of leaves in the gentle night breeze. The world outside the car seemed to recede, leaving us in a bubble of light and sound, hurtling through the dark. Suddenly, Craig hit the brakes, the car jerking to a halt, my heart leaped into my throat. What the hell, Craig? There. He pointed to a shadowy figure looming on the road ahead, it was a woman. Standing still as a statue, her eyes fixed on our approaching car. Her presence was jarring, a stark contrast to the empty road. For a moment, we sat in stunned silence, the woman's gaze boring into us. Then, as suddenly as she had appeared, she vanished into the darkness. Did you see that? I asked, my voice barely a whisper, my mind racing to make sense of what we'd just witnessed. Craig nodded, his face pale in the dim light of the dashboard. Yeah, I saw her. We got out of the car, the night air cool against my skin. The forest seemed to close in around us, the trees whispering secrets in the wind. We searched the area where the woman had been, but there was no trace of her. This doesn't make sense, I muttered more to myself than to Craig. Who would be out here in the middle of the night? We returned to the car, the atmosphere charged with a palpable sense of dread. The casual adventure of our night drive had taken a turn into something else something unexplainable. As we resumed our journey, the road seemed to stretch on endlessly, the trees blurring into a monotonous tunnel. The sighting of the woman had left a mark on us, a lingering unease that clung like a second skin. The night had deepened, the moon now a distant, hazy orb in the sky. We drove in silence, each lost in our thoughts, the surreal encounter replaying in our minds. The further we drove, the more the night seemed to close in on us, the darkness becoming a tangible presence. It was as if we had crossed into a different world, one where the rules of reality no longer applied. As the miles ticked by, a chilling realization began to dawn on me. We were no longer just lost in the backroads of Josephine County. We were lost in something much bigger, something that defied explanation. And the night, it seemed, was far from over. The night had turned from a canvas of stars to a suffocating cloak of darkness. Craig's hands were clamped tight on the steering wheel, knuckles white, as the Honda's headlights continued to slash through the night. The ghostly encounter had shaken us both, but the road kept unwinding under our wheels, a relentless serpent in the dark. As we drove, a creeping realization began to gnaw at the edges of my mind. The landscape, shrouded in darkness, seemed eerily familiar. "'Craig,' I said, my voice laced with a growing unease, Haven't we passed that same crooked streetlight before? Craig shot me a glance, confusion and concern etching his face. I… I don't know. Maybe. But deep down I knew. We were driving in circles, or so it seemed. Every turn, every straight stretch led us back to the same point, the solitary streetlight casting its feeble glow on the sign that read, Golden Two Miles. It was impossible, yet the reality was glaringly evident. The sense of being trapped on this endless loop tightened its grip on us, a nightmarish merry-go-round with no exit. The repetitiveness of the landscape began to feel claustrophobic, as if the night itself was playing tricks on us. What's happening, Craig's voice was barely above a whisper, strained with a cocktail of fear and disbelief. I had no answers, only the oppressive weight of a situation spiraling beyond our control. With each pass, the scenery became more surreal, the air denser, as if we were driving through a dream, or a nightmare. And then there was the time. I glanced at my watch and my heart skipped a beat. 3am. It had been 3am the last time I checked, and the time before that. Time itself seemed to have halted, suspended in this loop of terror. Craig must have noticed it too. The clock, it's still 3am, his voice cracked, the veneer of composure beginning to crumble. Outside, the night seemed to thicken, the darkness pressing in on us like a physical force. With each loop, the presence of the spectral figures grew, a silent audience to our plight. They were shadows at first, barely perceptible, but with each pass, their numbers seemed to swell, their forms becoming more distinct, more menacing. We were caught in a cycle we couldn't escape, a loop that defied logic and reason. The isolation of the road, once a source of freedom, now felt like a prison, The car, our sanctuary, had become a cell, hurtling through a landscape that refused to change, refused to release us. A sense of hopelessness began to settle over me, a chilling resignation to the bizarre and unexplainable. I felt Craig's gaze on me, searching for reassurance, for a plan. But I had nothing to offer, only the shared experience of this inexplicable journey. As the streetlight loomed again, casting its pallid light on the road, A deep, primal fear took root. We were not alone in this loop. Something was watching us, something that thrived in the darkness, something that had ensnared us in this endless cycle. The night stretched on, timeless and unyielding, and with each pass under the streetlight, the feeling of dread grew. We were trapped, caught in a loop of terror with no end in sight. The night had become a relentless entity, each loop under that mocking streetlight a tightening noose. Craig's driving was mechanical now, each motion a reflection of our despair. The Honda felt like a coffin on wheels, carrying us deeper into an abyss we couldn't comprehend. "'Something's very wrong,' Craig muttered, his voice a hollow echo of the man I knew. The road, with its repeating landmarks, had transformed into a labyrinth with no exit. The ghostly figures, now clearer with each loop, watched us with silent, unnerving attention. A part of me wanted to scream to shatter the oppressive silence that had enveloped us. But fear, thick and cloying, clamped down on my throat. We were actors in a play whose script was written by the night itself. Then amidst the despair, a spark of rebellion flared within me. Stop the car, I said, my voice more forceful than I felt. Craig looked at me as if I'd lost my mind. What? Why? We can't keep doing this. We need to confront whatever this is. He hesitated but the same desperation that fueled my resolve must have echoed in him he pulled the car over the gravel crunching under the tires breaking the night's oppressive silence we stepped out the chill of the night wrapping around us the ghostly figures were there at the edge of the headlights reach a silent jury to our plight my heart pounded in my chest a drumbeat of primal fear craig i began but a sudden realization cut me off Craig. Why couldn't I remember picking him up? Why was everything before the gas station a blur? The question hung in the air, unanswered and heavy. The world seemed to tilt, reality skewing into something unrecognizable. The figures loomed closer, their silence more threatening than any scream. Are you scared? Craig's voice, now devoid of any emotion he once had, sent a shiver down my spine. It was like hearing a stranger speak through the mouth of my friend. I looked at him, really looked at him, In the dim light, his features seemed distorted, his smile too wide, his eyes too dark. Fear gripped me, not just of the situation, but of Craig himself. I backed away, my mind racing. Everything felt wrong, disjointed. The night, the looping road, the time standing still, and now Craig, or whoever he was. The realization struck me like a physical blow. Craig was part of this nightmare. I was alone in this twisted reality, accompanied by a shadow wearing my friend's face. Who are you? I whispered, my voice barely audible. He didn't answer, just kept smiling that unnerving smile. I turned and ran, stumbling over the rough ground, the darkness enveloping me. I could hear him following, his footsteps a steady, unrelenting rhythm. Ahead the streetlight flickered, the sign for Golden mocking me with its constancy. I was running in circles, trapped in this nightmarish loop with a creature that wore Craig's skin. The terror of the realization was overwhelming. I was lost in a night that had no end, accompanied by something that was not my friend. The night had taken everything, leaving me with only fear and the chilling question, what had happened to the real Craig? The hospital room was sterile and impersonal, a stark contrast to the chaotic terror of that endless night. Lying in the bed, with the steady beep of the heart monitor as my only company, I replayed the events over and over in my mind. Each time, the horror didn't diminish, it deepened. The doctor said I was lucky to be alive. Lucky. That word echoed hollowly in my mind. I didn't feel lucky. I felt haunted, tormented by memories and questions with no answers. The police had been in and out, their questions probing, their skepticism barely veiled. I told them a version of the truth, But how could I explain the unexplainable? How could I tell them about the time loop, the spectral figures, and most disturbingly, about Craig? Craig. The memory of his too-wide smile, the darkness in his eyes. It sent shivers down my spine. I couldn't reconcile the image of that thing with the friend I thought I knew. But then, that was the crux of it all, wasn't it? I couldn't remember picking him up that night. I couldn't remember anything about him before the gas station. It was as if he had materialized from the night itself. A phantom friend for a phantom journey. A nurse came in to check on me, her smile warm but her eyes distant. They all looked at me like that, the staff. Like I was a puzzle they couldn't quite solve. I didn't blame them. I was a puzzle to myself. After she left, I turned my attention to the window. The world outside seemed normal, mundane even. Cars passed by, people went about their lives, Oblivious to the horrors that lurked in the shadows, I envied them their ignorance. My phone buzzed, a message lighting up the screen. It was from Vanessa, my girlfriend. Her words were a lifeline, a connection to a world that made sense. But as I read her message, my heart sank. Darling, who's Craig? She asked. That question, three simple words, sent a cold dread coursing through me. Vanessa, the person who knew me better than anyone had no idea who Craig was. It confirmed my worst fear. Craig wasn't real. Or if he was, he wasn't who I thought he was. I was left with more questions than answers. Had Craig been a manifestation of the night? A figment born from the darkness of those twisted backroads, Or was he something more sinister? A malevolent force that had chosen me for reasons I couldn't fathom? I didn't know, and that not knowing was the worst part. The doctor said I could go home soon, that my physical injuries were healing nicely. But the scars that night left on my mind, they were a different story. They were deep, jagged, and I feared they might never heal. As I lay there, staring out the window at the mundane world beyond, I realized that some mysteries are better left unsolved, some nights are better left unexplored, and some roads once taken can change you forever. The crisp autumn air tickled my face as I ventured deeper into the vast wilderness of the backwoods in Virginia. I had always found solace in the solitude of nature, but this solo hiking trip was my escape from the chaos of the city. Little did I know that this journey would turn sinister, plunging me into a nightmarish world I could have never imagined. As I tread along the narrow winding trail, a sense of unease settled over me. It started as a subtle tingling in the back of my neck a fleeting whisper of a presence lurking just beyond my line of sight. I shrugged it off as my mind playing tricks on me, dismissing it as a byproduct of the eerie atmosphere of the forest. But the feeling persisted, growing stronger with each passing step. It felt like unseen eyes were watching my every move, studying my vulnerability. A shiver raced down my spine, and I couldn't shake the creeping sensation that I was being stalked. I stopped in my tracks, my heart pounding, and glanced around expecting to glimpse my pursuer. However, the forest remained eerily still, not a single leaf rustling and no sign of movement. I reasoned that it must have been my overactive imagination, fueled by the stories I had heard countless times on the internet and the local folklore about these woods. I figured these were mere figments of my subconscious, determined to shake off my unfounded fear. As I continued my hike, quickening my pace and putting distance between myself and whatever oppressive presence might be following me. The relentless feeling of being hunted clung to me like a suffocating shadow. With each passing minute, it intensified, driving me to the edge of paranoia. I decided to take a break and gather my composure. I found a fallen log near a trickling stream and sat down, trying to catch my breath. The forest's silence weighed heavily upon me, broken only by the faint rustling of leaves and the distant hoot of an owl. I scanned my surroundings, my eyes darting from tree to tree, expecting to see the lurking figure, but nothing revealed itself. Suddenly, I caught a glimpse of movement out of the corner of my eye, a fleeting shadow darting between the trees. My heart skipped a beat as I leaped to my feet, adrenaline surging through my veins. I called out, my voice trembling. Is someone there? Silence greeted my words, mocking my unease. I convinced myself that it was just a woodland creature scurrying away, nothing more, nothing less. Yet my trepidation persisted, urging me to investigate further. With a deep breath I ventured off the trail, pushing through the underbrush towards where I had seen the shadow figure. The forest grew denser, its embrace growing tighter, as if it was warning me to turn back. But for some strange reason, almost like I was possessed, I pressed on, my curiosity fueled by fear and determination. Minutes turned into hours as I trudged deeper into the wilderness. The foliage grew thicker, casting elongated shadows that danced around me. The oppressive silence was broken only by the rhythmic thump of my heartbeat. My senses were on high alert, every rustle of the leaves and distant crack of branches echoing like an alarm in my mind. Then, as if emerging from a twisted nightmare, I stumbled upon a clearing, a macabre tableau frozen in time. The ground was littered with decaying carcasses, the rotting flesh picked clean by scavengers. The stench of death filled the air, suffocating and repulsive. My stomach turned, threatening to unleash its contents. I gasped in horror, recoiling as I recognized the gruesome truth. These were not the remains of animals. They were human. A wave of nausea crashed over me. Bile rose in my throat. The magnitude of the horror before me was incomprehensible. How could this be? Who could have done such a thing? A noise behind me shattered the silence, wrenching me from my shock-induced stupor. I spun around, my heart pounding in my ears, only to come face to face with the source of my terror. It stood there, towering over me, a monstrous figure covered in tattered rags, its grotesque face hidden beneath a mask of stitched together flesh. Fear paralyzed my every muscle as I found myself trapped in its gaze. It had lifeless eyes, its mouth was opened, emitting an otherworldly hiss that seemed to penetrate my very soul. My mind reeled, unable to comprehend the nightmarish entity before me. With unholy speed, the creature lunged towards me, jagged claws reaching out to tear me apart. At that moment, pure instinct took over, and I sprinted away, my legs pumping with desperate adrenaline. The forest became a blur of shapes and colors as I raced through the undergrowth, desperate to escape the clutches of this abomination. My heart pounded in my chest, my breath coming in ragged gasps as I sprinted back toward the trail. The creature's blood-curling screams echoed behind me, growing more distant with every step. I dared not stop. I dared not look back, afraid its horrifying visage would haunt my dreams forever. Finally, I burst out onto the trail, gasping for air, my body drenched in sweat. I stumbled forward, propelled by sheer willpower until I reached the safety of my car. With trembling hands, I fumbled for the keys and slammed the door shut, locking myself in the sanctuary of the vehicle. I peered through the windshield, scanning the tree line, half expecting the creature to emerge from the shadows at any moment. But it remained hidden within the forest depths, its malice lurking in the darkness. As I drove away, my mind was a whirlwind of terror and disbelief. I knew the horrors I had witnessed would forever haunt me. Virginia's backwoods held ancient and evil secrets that were better left undisturbed, and as long as that creature roamed freely, I could never be sure it wouldn't find me again, lurking in the shadows, waiting to claim its next victim. About four years ago, on an abnormally cold day in Louisiana, I found myself shivering in the low 20-degree weather. The carbon dioxide escaped my lips like cigarette smoke as I sighed, desperately trying to stay warm beneath two heavy coats and various layers of clothing. School had been long and tiring, and all I wanted was to escape the chill and reach the comfort of my home. As I walked out of the school gate, I couldn't help but feel an eerie sensation. The school was surrounded by a somewhat dense forest, and I always had this nagging feeling that I was never truly alone that unseen eyes were watching my every move. My house was a good 30 to 40 minutes away, and I followed the same path through the woods that I always did. The sun was setting, casting an ominous darkness over the trees. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream pierced the air, echoing through the forest. It had been about 20 minutes since I started my journey, and the rapidly fading light made me uneasy. Then a foul stench filled the air, the putrid scent of something rotten, I almost tripped over an obstacle in my path, and when I looked down, my stomach churned in revulsion. Before me lay the horrifically mangled remains of a man who had gone missing just a few days prior. I froze, unable to move, and my eyes darted wildly in all directions. The same screech echoed once more, but this time it was closer than before. Panic gripped me as I heard the spine-chilling sound of leaves and sticks crunching not far from where I stood. Out of nowhere, the temperature inexplicably spiked transforming the freezing cold into what felt like sweltering summer heat, reaching almost 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Fear coursed through me as I began to walk faster, my heart pounding. I had a constant feeling that something was watching me, and in a moment of sheer terror, I glanced over my shoulder. In the dimming light, I caught a glimpse of it, a colossal figure, at least eight feet tall, and it was fast, impossibly fast. I let out an involuntary scream and broke into a sprint, but my terror-induced haste led me to trip over the gnarled roots of a tree. My right leg twisted gruesomely upon impact, and the pain was excruciating. As I lay on the ground I saw those eyes. They were pitch black, glowing yellow with jet-black viper pupils. I couldn't tear my gaze away from them, even though every instinct in my body screamed to run. The creature was approximately 15 feet away from me, and its dark crimson form emerged from the shadows. It had two pairs of blood-red wings, the upper ones massive, while the lower ones were shorter and thinner. Long black hair cascaded from its head, and two curved crimson horns adorned its forehead. A sinuous crimson tail flicked menacingly through the air, and instead of fingers, it had clawed talons. But the most horrifying aspect of this nightmarish creature was its unholy grin, a grin that seemed to stretch from ear to ear, revealing teeth that were grotesquely huge, resembling kitchen knives. I could only guess that those teeth were at least a foot long. They looked sharp enough to tear through flesh with ease. Before I could even think to take a picture, it vanished with incredible speed, pulling the air with it. I managed to push through the pane and started limping away but my right leg was mangled and the bone protruded through my torn flesh. As I struggled, I suddenly found myself face to face with the creature. It had silently approached, grabbed me, and hoisted me into the air. The stench of decay washed over me, and I gagged at the noxious odor. I was thirteen at the time, and I couldn't help but cry and sob, tears streaming down my face. The creature, perhaps sensing my fear or desperation, cocked its head, and placed a burning hot stone-like finger to my trembling lips. Everything went black. When I regained consciousness, I found myself standing at my own front door, utterly confused. I scanned my surroundings, and with dread, realized that those same glowing eyes were watching me from the bushes in my garden. As soon as I saw them, they vanished into the darkness. Looking down at my leg, I was astounded to find it had miraculously returned to normal. But upon closer inspection, I noticed a huge symbol carved into my knee. I couldn't comprehend what I had experienced that day, but it haunted me enough to inspire countless terrifying short stories ever since. It was around the year 2010, when I was nine or 10 years old, and I found myself recalling a memory that I had somehow forced myself to forget. The events of that evening were so damn creepy that they had remained locked away in the recesses of my mind. As I looked back on it, I couldn't shake the unsettling feeling that had haunted me since that night. The setting was a lovely summer evening in the Midwest. My friend, whom I'll refer to as Chase for this story, had invited me and two other neighborhood friends over for a sleepover. We were at that age where adult supervision was becoming more lenient and Chase's house was the perfect spot for unsupervised shenanigans. Chase's house stood out prominently in our neighborhood. It sat on top of a hill with a gated driveway and a vast yard that surrounded the house, stretching into a wooded area that eventually led to a state forest. Chase's parents were relatively older, in their late 50s, while most of our parents were in their 30s or early 40s. His father was paralyzed from the waist down due to his service in the Gulf War and required caretakers. His mother, a business executive, was often out of town. Chase's only sibling had already moved out for college by then, so whenever we hung out there, there were rarely any eyes on us. We never did anything wrong, mind you, but we engaged in the typical activities kids our age would. We'd shoot airsoft guns, experiment with crazy seasonings and instant ramen, stay up late playing M-rated video games, all that good stuff. On that particular night, Chase had the idea to set up a tent in the woods and camp out. While none of us were particularly enthusiastic about it, we agreed on the condition that we could quickly access the house for bathroom breaks and snacks. We set up the tent, laid out our sleeping bags, grabbed as much junk food as we could carry, and settled in for the night. We goofed around for a few hours after the sunset, our sugar high induced antics only ceasing when the unhealthy snacks began to take their toll and one by one we fell asleep. I was usually the first to doze off at sleepovers and this night was no exception. However, my sleep was brief. I was abruptly awakened by someone shaking me in the pitch black darkness. As my eyes adjusted, I saw the concerned look on my friend's face. Before I could scold him for waking me, he whispered, do you hear that? I sat up cautiously and strained my ears to listen. There it was, a haunting, drawn-out whistle. It echoed through the night, each note breathy and elongated. Even recalling it now sends shivers down my spine. The sound wasn't particularly close, but it wasn't too far away either. My expression must have turned to horror because my friend woke up our other friend. We all sat in silence listening intently trying to pinpoint the direction of the eerie whistling. Could it have been coming from the house? Perhaps one of Chase's dad's caretakers had decided to stay the night, but that was highly unlikely. In fact, it had never happened before. It didn't take long for us to realize that the source of the whistling was within the woods and it was gradually getting closer to us. With that realization, panic set in. We wasted no time. In less than 15 seconds, we had our shoes on and were sprinting to the front porch, leaving everything behind in the tent snacks pillows sleeping bags ds consoles we dared not return under the harsh illumination of the driveway's lights which resembled a mini parking lot as we huddled together on the front porch we suddenly felt a surge of newfound confidence we convinced ourselves that we weren't scared and grabbed our airsoft guns from the garage we crouched behind some trash cans taking shots into the woods and yelling like a bunch of idiots attempting to intimidate or fend off whoever or whatever was out there. But as we listened intently, the woods remained silent. Eventually our bravado waned, and the adrenaline rush subsided. We decided it was safe enough to return to the house and sleep on the living room floor after playing a bit of Xbox. That night was undeniably creepy, but it was nothing compared to what would transpire the following day. When we woke up, we began discussing the events of the previous night, Acknowledging how eerie everything had been. In the broad daylight we mustered the courage to make our way back down to the tent. As we got closer something immediately struck us as off. The tent had been completely trashed. The tarp that had been securely tied to everything else had been violently ripped off. One corner of the tent had caved in, as if someone had broken it, and the tent poles appeared to be bent in half in several places. Our snacks had been dumped out and seemingly stomped on, and several of the sleeping bags and pillows had been flung into the woods and cut open. To make matters worse, Chase's DS console had been snapped in half, and the side of the tent had been sliced open with multiple deep slits, as though someone had gone on a stabbing frenzy. We were all in shock, our previous bravado reduced to silence. Despite our earlier boasts about confronting whatever was in the woods the night before, the four of us quickly packed up the tent Salvaging what we could and brought it back to the house. We assumed Chase's family would never use that tent again, and that they would simply purchase a new one, given their more affluent status compared to the rest of us. After that sleepover, our group of friends naturally drifted apart. It was the end of the summer before our fifth grade year. Chase went on to attend a private middle school, while the rest of us attended a public one where we were sorted into different cliques. I never thought about that incident again until recently when I ran into one of my other friends while visiting my hometown. We exchanged numbers, and it was only after seeing a Reddit thread about sharing scary stories on a channel called Just Creepy that these memories came rushing back to me. I felt compelled to share this story because no matter how many times I think about it, something still feels profoundly unsettling.